ancestors' diets were rich in the essential vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients needed for optimal health. But today, thanks to declining soil quality, a growing toxic burden, and other challenges in the modern world, most of us are not getting enough of these critical nutrients. That's why I created Adapt Naturals. It's a supplement line based on the principles of evolutionary biology and modern research that closes the nutrient gap so you can feel and perform your best. Unlike most supplements, which use cheap synthetic ingredients your body can't absorb, our products are made with clinician-grade, bioavailable ingredients that make a real and noticeable difference. We have a full range of products, from the most advanced multivitamin and phytonutrient formula on the market, to a blend of eight organic superfood mushrooms, including reishi, chaga, and lion's mane, to a highly absorbable liquid D3K2 dropper. Our newest product is BioAvail Omega Plus, a blend of ultra-pure fish oil and the most bioavailable forms of curcumin and black seed oil in a single two soft gel serving. Fish oil, curcumin, and black seed oil are renowned for their powerful health benefits. But until now, they've only been available in separate products, which means higher cost and a lot of pills. BioVail Omega Plus gives you a natural and effective way to improve joint and muscle health, boost exercise performance and recovery, elevate mood and mental clarity, and regulate immune function. Head over to adaptnaturals.com, that's A-D-A-P-T naturals.com, to learn more and start feeling and performing your best. Hey everybody, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. This week, I'm really excited to welcome Robbie Sansom as my guest. We are going to talk all about the current state of regeneratively sourced meat. Uh, Robbie knows a lot about this topic. He is the former CFO and COO at Epic. I'm sure you are all familiar with Epic Foods. Uh, you know all of the the meat bars, jerky, snacks that were made with uh, regeneratively sourced meat, and he has gone on to become the co-founder and CEO at Force of Nature, which is a regeneratively sourced meat company based in Austin, Texas. And Force of Nature has really taken things to the next level when it comes to partnering with land stewards, ranchers, and farmers that are committed to creating a, a positive return on the, on the planet. They have a holistic, systems-based approach to regenerative ranching and he is one of the most intelligent and insightful people on this topic. We talk about the role of consumers in the regenerative agriculture movement, how we as consumers can support it, and some of the myths and misconceptions that many of which are intentional on the part of big food producers that consumers have and, and how we can work to you know, educate ourselves and, and get more clear on the choices that we're making the state of, the, of, of our relationship to food and the food system, the benefits of consuming regeneratively raised meat in the diet. Uh, we talk about the uh, variable benefits and also how easy or difficult it is to raise different types of meat regeneratively, uh, beef, pork, chicken, the monogastrics like pork and chicken, uh, the ruminants like um, beef and lamb. And then... We talk about how force of nature is bridging the gap to create uh, transparent regenerative supply chains that you know, help us as, as consumers to just know exactly what it is that we're getting and that it is what we're told it is. So uh, this was a really fascinating conversation for me. 
lot of topics I'm very familiar with, but I still learn uh, a little bit every time I speak with Robbie because he is uh, he's the real deal when it comes to this topic. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive in. Robbie Sansom, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks a lot for having me, Chris. I very much appreciate it. So I'm really excited to dive in and talk about the state of regenerative agriculture, uh, the role that both producers and consumers can play, uh, how this can impact the food system, and how force of nature is really bridging the gap uh, in all of these areas. Before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about your background so folks know where you're coming from. We've known each other for a while, and I, I know you were the CFO and COO at Epic, which a lot of peop- listeners will be familiar with. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this space and you know what you were up to the last few years and and then you know what your kind of defining mission and purpose is at this point around uh, regenerative agriculture yeah I think my journey into this space is not dissimilar from from many others you, you know I think with epic as an example the path there was trying to create shelf stable food that was healthy um, and do so while maintaining a set of values. Um, you know, Epic was a meat-based snack brand, effectively bars, jerkies, other um, household kind of shelf-stable goods. And you know, we we wanted to do a better version of you know animal animal-based protein, given what we had heard at the time was a challenge with. Um, that industry. Um, we knew it was important. We knew it was critical for our health, as, as you and many of our listeners know, but it was hard to decipher truth from myth when it came to what was a challenge or what was an opportunity with those systems. And, you know, was animal agriculture bad or cows uh, and beef good for you? And, you know, kind of going down that rabbit hole, we learned, we found regenerative agriculture. We found that we could be conscious uh, consumers of, of animal-based food and improve and support ecosystem outcomes. We found that we could improve and support animal welfare outcomes. We found that we could improve and support social issues for our rural communities and our food production communities. We found so many other really um, exciting outcomes that we were told weren't the truth or weren't you know, possible in, in, in the consumption of meat. And I think for us with that brand, you know, it was a snacking brand, but the reality is meat um, is in almost every household consumed by almost every, uh, you know, almost 95% of consumers in the, in the United States. And so, you know, there's really a much greater potential and a much greater opportunity to, to address those myths and to improve our food system. Because it's not, none of that is to say that animal agriculture is without flaws. It definitely has some major shortcomings and we can get into those. But there are there are paths and options available to drive massive improvements and massive scale change against so many challenges, uh, and I think opportunity to improve our plant based agriculture systems in conjunction. Hmm. So yeah, um, given your background in Epic and you know what you saw in the market, tell us a little bit about Force of Nature, what you're up to there. You know what what led you to go down that road because it's obviously related, but it's also quite distinct from what you were doing at Epic. Yeah, and I think when, when you know, with Epic, um, we were able to, you know, drive and influence that brand. We sold it, uh, maintained a level of influence for some period of time, and and then really took the journey anew with, with Force of Nature. We say that we took the same mission 
that we had and simply uh, leveled up from ounces to pounds. And, 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 and that's, what, that's what force of nature is. All the things I just, I just shared, um, really trying to create awareness for consumers about those issues in food, about the challenges of agriculture and, uh, and how that interrelates to consumer health and land health and uh, practices of, of welfare and social issues like we discussed. Uh, policy, all of those sorts of things, you know, I think an, an empowered and, and informed uh, base of consumers is an incredibly powerful and important tool and driver for change. I think, you know, that, that, that's all fine and good and necessary, but without a, a, a call to action for those um, informed consumers, it's really difficult to drive change. It's really difficult to send the signals in the market that get the attention um, and that justify and validate the outcomes that we're looking for. And so once, once we've created that level of awareness, giving consumers better access to regenerative proteins um, and across a variety of proteins. So whether it's beef or bison um, or some of the, the wild game or exotic animals or some of the monogastrics, um, it's, it's, it's really what consumers want. And we offer it across channels, whether that's in retail or in food service or in uh, you know, direct to consumer, you can order it online, deliver it to your house. And so it's, hey, how do we, how do we create that awareness and inspire people? And when they, when they have that desire to be a part of a solution and drive change, how do we make the call to action easier and more accessible for them? And I won't say that we're the best and the or the only, I just think that we're a avenue for consumers, an avenue for consumers to level, level up their purchasing choices amongst many, but we want to make it easier um, and we want to create a rising tide for those other good actors in this space. I want to talk a little bit about your approach because um, I think it, it is um, phenomenal and really uh, a holistic way of looking at regenerative agriculture uh, because you work in partnership with land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are all committed to the same outcome. So talk a little bit about how you have set things up at Force of Nature in terms of that ecosystem, and even a little bit about the the different animals that you're raising and and um, meat that you're producing and how that all works together. Yeah, I think I think I'll start with you know one of the big challenges in in, in meat specifically is how it has um, been centralized, and that's come. Um, with significant cost to consumers, and it's come with significant cost to farmers and ranchers and, and food producers. Um, there have been uh, brands and in, in meat before, and but they're not often, you know, on on, on a national scale. And there have been um, brands that are cross proteins, and there have been brands available, different things, but but they haven't been all of the things that that force of nature represents. Um, I think one of the things that we that we do most differently than any predecessor, though, is intentionally not be vertically integrated. You know, I don't want to be a brand that gains recognition and simply shifts share from some other party to ourselves. I think what and and I should say some other good actor, some farmer, some rancher, some community member somewhere. I don't mind if I take share from from Tyson or Cargill or. Um, one of the larger, one of the larger incumbents, because they are the ones that are sitting atop that have taken from those that are on the on the bottom, and that our food system relies on. And so, it was important for us that we didn't centralize. I think there are incredible farmers and ranchers out there that need support, um, not to be used and, and and folded into a consolidation. And I think there's incredible processors out there that are that meet the same. You know, fall into the same category where you know they need to be supported they need their efforts to be justified and so i think that's one of the unique things that we're doing is 
creating a network, um, not creating a, a, a vertical enterprise that is self-serving, but creating a network that you know serves a community of food producers across um, the United States and, and, some, and in some cases abroad and further food processors across the United States and abroad. I think that allows us to create more reach and access, do more good, again, facilitate that rising tide. It also allows us to be more regionalized um, as we grow and scale and address um, some costs and concerns around the economics or the impact of distribution and, and so on and so forth. And again, even on the, the marketing side, when we talk about you know, the challenges in our food system and things that consumers can do and where to go and buy it, you know, I'll, I'll, I will point consumers to other operations besides our own that they should that they should support as, as again as part of a, the, the food movement in this community, um, and so I think not being, you know, purely self interested, but looking at it as hey, there's plenty to go around. You know, how do we support an ecosystem? Understanding that we will benefit um, as others benefit, and, and and as long as regenerative is growing. Awesome, yeah, and I know you have some personal experience as well. You have. A regenerative ranch with bison, if I'm correct. My my co-founders Katie and Taylor have a regenerative ranch called Rome Ranch. Um, they they own that. It's separate from Force of Nature. It is part of our Force of Nature supply chain. And I do own bison, and and those bison are part of the herd on that ranch that I get to help manage. And so I do have a, a small ranching enterprise, but um, and and some skin in the game as well. Uh, but I can't take, I can't say that I own the, the ranch, unfortunately. One day, someday maybe. What's interesting to me about that is, um, you know, you get a, a window into what the issues are, the challenges, the opportunities that you don't have if you're just running a business and you're completely separate and, and divorced from the, that on the ground process, if you will. And, you know, through your connection with Rome and, you know, your experience just seeing how this works at a local level, I imagine that's important and valuable. Absolutely. I mean, as you know, we, as, as much as fun as reductionism is, there's always nuance and uh, it gives you a really unique perspective to um, take what is um, theory and put it into practice in, in one in even just one context. And we've been fortunate that we work with a, a number of partners all across the country and all across protein. So you get to peer into that from a lot of different angles and ways. Um, but yes, you know, when your hands are, are the ones bleeding <laughs> or, or getting dirty in, in, a, in a pursuit, it definitely teaches you a lot. So let's shift and start talking about, you know, some of the challenges in the space right now from a consumer perspective. You, of course, uh, I think, think deeply about this. From my experience just working with people and just observing human behavior around me it seems like one of the biggest challenges is cost you know that these products in many cases are significantly more expensive than you know the CAFO meat that you can buy in the local grocery store and that is preventing uh, you know perhaps w wider adoption Another is education. I think the average consumer is probably pretty confused. If they go to the market, you know, I was just at the meat case in the local market, and I was, you know, you see natural, raised without hormones, antibiotic-free, grass-fed, pasture-raised, organic, whole bunch of terminology thrown around with very little 
transparency <laughs> or insight into what those words mean in those particular cases. And there, as I, you know, I think there's not much regulation around some of these words as well. So, you know, what does all natural mean? <laughs> you know, like, th does that even have any teeth behind it or any connotation that, you know, how does somebody distinguish between meat in the case that says natural hormone free, you know, no antibiotics and one next to it that says, you know, pasture raised? Like, uh, I don't know that people on average have any clue what those differences are and why they should care. No, they, they don't. Um, and I, and, and sadly, I think that's intentional. I think that there's rampant deception and, you know, I think an example I like to give on that is when you look at pork or, or poultry with a vegetarian fed claim, you know, to me, that's a red flag to me. That means this animal didn't eat a diet that it was intended um, to eat from an evolutionary perspective. It means it was raised in a synthetic environment that's entirely human curated to prevent it from eating something other than, you know, the feed that was, you know, manufactured and provided. So it didn't have access to outdoors. It wasn't foraging. It wasn't doing anything. Um, and yet they've turned that into a, a value that they want to celebrate as a claim. Consu the average consumer doesn't even understand what the heck the claim means. And to your point, natural means nothing. Um, even grass-fed means very little now, and then you have to parse out, okay, what about welfare? What about, is it organic? You know, a lot of our products aren't organic, and people are wonder why the heck don't we, aren't our products organic? And we're like, well, we're pursuing regenerative, and that's a whole, that's leaps and bounds more important, and, and, and I would say a level or two above organic, you know, and that's why, and organic, anyway, without getting too far into, you know, those rabbit holes, it's, I think it's a way of, if consumers aren't really clear and it isn't really understandable, it's it's easier to continue to mislead and manipulate. Um, and man, it's important that consumers do their play their role in perpetuating the status quo for these large companies, right? If you think about it, particularly around our our our, our food system, um, and when I say these parties, I mean you have significant interest by large food, large ag large chemical, large petroleum, and, 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 and frank, frankly, healthcare, you know, and, and, you know, these organizations that we, we, we talk about, I don't, I mean, I like to assume positive intent. I'm not going to say they're fundamentally evil, but their incentives, their profit motives by being a corporation drive them to pursue those above all else, which drives them to lobby our federal government and our food policy to promote their profit interests, even if it is at the expense of, you know, our health, our lands, um, our communities, and, 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 and you know, a myriad of other of other challenges, and that takes uh, form in a variety of ways that impact, as you said, awareness or education, but also impact cost. And so, you know, I think that is where we have to be really careful. We live in the digital age, and there's never been more access to information than there is now. And we can tell stories and we can correct these fallacies and mistruths and lies um, that are often parroted or celebrated by organizations with tons of money flooded by these um, large corporate interests. Um, but also that means, you know, as, as we've seen recently in a variety of areas that misinformation and the, those same, that same access to information can be used, you know, for what I would consider to be 
undesirable or maybe even nefarious nefarious outcomes. And on the cost side of things, in in the same in the same vein, right? I mentioned the you know food policy that the farm bill is is a wonderful example of that. You know, and um, the farm bill materially changed back in the mid '90s in a way that basically made uh, made it so the production of grain, um, corn, soy, wheat is so cheap that the cost of those things is so cheap that they can be sold for less than the cost of production. That's supported by taxpayer dollars, so it's more expensive than it than it appears. But that created incentives, you know, it's to put those foods in everything and to market and market them to consumers as value added or again healthy foods when we know now that there are you know come with a, a host of challenges um and and even our large you know pork and, and poultry producers benefited to the tune of something like 20 billion dollars over the course of a decade because taxpayers and our policymakers made certain feeds less expensive for them and so of course they're going to support that program and of course the companies that are growing those feeds are going to support those programs and on and on and on yeah so so to, to, on the cost side you know you have your, your conventional food less expensive than it should be and 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 i think that is an unfair baseline to benchmark more premium or regenerative based foods to and then i think you know, that th then you have to account for the hidden cost of that food, the external cost. You talk about, you know, chronic disease costing $3.2 trillion. You know, you break that down on a per household basis. That's, you know, almost 600 bucks a week that you could add to the average household grocery bill if you really wanted to put the burden of that cheapness and, and make it more apparent and more visible. And so I, I don't think that regenerative food is as expensive as people perceive it to be. I think commodity food is much more expensive than people recognize, arguably more expensive than uh, more premium food. And then I, I think just on an absolute basis, regenerative food isn't as expensive as people think. Our most expensive regenerative beef is about half the cost per ounce of uh, a, a bag of Ruffles potato chips. And I would argue significantly more uh, healthy <laughs> and, and, and on a, on a nutri nutrition per calorie basis, yeah, you know, actually, one of the healthiest, most most important foods, most cost effective foods that you could purchase. But relative to wine or bottled water or olive oil or 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 you know organic almonds or you know so many other things that we don't bat an eye at paying premiums for, meat's actually really cheap. Even even the premium meat, um, it just can't be. It just can't ever be as cheap as meat that's had all value removed from it, and that we've been you know. Stimulating through taxpayer subsidizing through taxpayer yeah. dollars. Yeah, I I remember reading a comparison a while back, and I can't remember where it was, but it was, and and it's unfortunate that they use chicken as the <laughs> as the meat for for this comparison because, you know, that is the least sustainable, nutritious meat. You know, I eat chicken occasionally, okay, but it's like. Let's come back to this because I want to talk about I want to talk about chicken. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you do. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, 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 chicken and pork, and you know the different forms of meat and the and the challenges of raising those animals regeneratively. So I'm going to put a pin in that. But the comparison was like looking at the cost of a family meal at McDonald's versus a whole food meal cook. I think it was like a whole chicken 
potatoes and broccoli or salad or something like that. And the whole food meal was far more was that was actually significantly cheaper like feeding your your family just cooking at home using these whole foods was was far more affordable now if you were to do that same comparison but use meat you know red meat and even include some organs or something like that and then you were gonna or one of your blends like a ground blend you know with organs and and then you were gonna compare the nutrient uh, availability or nutri- nutrient levels in in that meal, and then do like a cost per um, per nutrient kind of analysis. You would find that it's as you said, it's it's actually significantly cheaper to eat this way, even when you're buying premium quality meat, and you're avoiding a lot of packaged foods that you're paying that markup and and premium for. Or you know, avoiding eating out in restaurants where you're you're supporting the whole infrastructure of that restaurant, servers, you know, people preparing the food, etc. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think in many cases, this conversation about cost, it's not comparing apples to apples, and that can lead people astray when they're thinking about um, cost versus value. Oh yeah, and and we did a true cost of food episode on our our podcast called called Where Hope Grows. T- Taylor, my co-founder, and I for to kind of dive in on the same thing. And I think I I took our ancestral blends and and basically said I'm going to do two servings because that's how much I eat. So you know I did two servings of ancestral blend, you know beef with organs blended in and 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 a bag of organic vegetables that I stir fried together and made them at home in 15 minutes. So it was inexpensive quick and nutrient dense uh, and the cost was 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 seven bucks for me to eat a, an incredibly nourishing meal i went to 7-eleven and bought a turkey club and uh, a, a big gulp and 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 a bag of chips and it was closer to ten dollars so it was you know almost almost 40 percent more expensive and then i went across the street to chick-fil-a um, and the value bills ranged between 10 and 12 dollars so to your point, it's a significantly less expensive to eat super healthy food, and it can be just as expensive. I promise you, I spent less time cooking that, that meal than I spent round trip <laughs> trying to go to a convenience yeah. store or a fast food restaurant. So that's another point. Like we are conditioned that there are these truths that healthy food is expensive, or it's only for elites, or it's inaccessible. And I think, as you noted, it's and, and as I've noted here, it's it's th- those things. You know, we sometimes we have to challenge these conventions um, to to question their validity and to challenge the premise of a notion. Um, I, I'd say they're, they're not only not as expensive as people think, but again, they're significantly more valuable, whether it be on a dollar or an economic basis or whether it be on a health and nutrition basis, as you pointed out. Hmm. Yeah, and it seems like even, you know, this is a different topic and I won't go too far down that road, but um, time and convenience, there's a, a misapprehension too that it's like easier to go out or even to order food. I mean, certainly there's some truth to that, but it's once you get into the routine and the rhythm of cooking food at home and, you know, if you shop at farmer's market or, you know, other markets, you, you get, you get some meat (laughs) or some fish, you, you get some uh, vegetables and maybe if you eat starches, you get some starch, you know, potatoes, sweet potatoes, something like that. It is, you can put those together in so many different ways so quickly with so little effort that 
I, you know, in many cases it's faster, like you said, and, and certainly more convenient than going out. Not to mention that you may have leftovers and then you've got lunch ready the next day. Like when when you get into the rhythm and the routine of it, it can become seamless. It's yeah. And you add in pressure cookers or Instapots or, you know, all, all of the things. And if you're eating, frankly, ground meat, like we should all be eating more of, it's just, it's very approachable and, and, and very easy to, to, to cook with, like you noted. And I would just remind everybody too, I mean, it's only been a, a minute in, in time, but if you recall over the last few years with all of the, the COVID and, and, and all of the externalities that came from how we responded to that as, as a society, one of the things that was most often widely regarded as a benefit was, oh, we stayed home more and cooked as a family more and spent more time together. So when you're doing those things that you're talking about, you're teaching skills and you're sharing in, in culture and, and, and you're being present um, for your family. And there's just there's a lot of other benefits that come with that beyond just, again, um, healthy food and, and convenience and inexpensive you know, financial outlays. I'm so excited to tell you about a new product we just launched at Adapt Naturals. Fish oil, curcumin, and black seed oil are renowned for their powerful health benefits. But until now, they've only been available in separate products, which means higher cost and a lot of pills. What's more, many fish oils on the market are rancid or contain toxins like heavy metals and PCBs. And curcumin and black seed oil are not well absorbed unless special preparations are used. BioVail Omega Plus combines the purest and freshest fish oil with the most bioavailable forms of curcumin and black seed oil, so you get the incredible benefits of these nutrients in a single, two soft gel serving. Those benefits include supporting joint and muscle health, you can boost your performance and recovery, and feel more youthful and vital. Improving cognitive function and mood, sharpen your focus and memory and recover that spring in your step. Promoting metabolic and heart health, which helps maintain normal weight, blood sugar, and cholesterol levels. And regulating immune function, which reduces immune hyperactivity and strengthens protection against viruses and other pathogens. This is an incredible product for anyone who needs extra support with inflammation, pain, joint issues, autoimmunity, cognitive function and mood, and metabolic and heart health. Visit adaptnaturals.com, that's A-D-A-P-T-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com to place your order and experience the incredibly powerful benefits of fish oil, curcumin, and black seed oil in BioVail Omega Plus. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I'm a super active guy. Depending on the time of year, I'm either skiing, mountain biking, hiking, backpacking, surfing, or lifting weights on most days of the week. I also live in a really dry climate at high elevation. For these reasons, I pay a lot of attention to hydration. I've learned the hard way what happens when I get dehydrated, and I know how important hydration is to overall health. But hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. This is where Element comes in. It's a combination of electrolytes like sodium, potassium, and magnesium in easy-to-use individual packets that you just add right to your water bottle. And unlike most electrolyte products on the market, Element is free of sugar and artificial junk. I drink Element every day and it's made a huge difference in how I feel. Even with my training and profession, I don't think I realized how often I was dehydrated before I made Element part of my daily routine. If you'd like to try it, the folks at Element have an exclusive offer for my podcast listeners. 
You can get a free sample pack with one of each of the eight flavors Element sells when you purchase any Element product. This is perfect for anyone who wants to try all of the flavors or who wants to introduce a friend to Element. Just go to cresser.co slash element, that's L-M-N-T, to place an order and take advantage of this offer. Let's shift a little bit now and talk about, well, I, I promised a brief discussion about chicken and pork and meat and the the relative ease or difficulty in raising those animals regeneratively. And that can be a segue into the state of our relationship to food and the food system and, you know, some of the myths and misconceptions, you know. So one thing that always makes me scratch my head is when someone says, you know, I'm a vegetarian, but I eat chicken or like, (laughs) you know, I I only eat chicken is the only meat that I will eat. And I there's different reasons. I've heard some people say, oh, well. I'll just eat animals with a beak as if somehow, you know, that's morally more acceptable or that maybe they just don't like chickens as much as they like cows. You know, cows are cuter to them than chickens. But of course, you have to kill a lot more chickens to f- to feed the equivalent number of people that, that one cow would feed, which often doesn't enter into the calculus. Can I just, I'll, I'll pause you because I have that data for you ready. Yeah, please. So you'd, you'd look at about 70 chickens to feed a family versus one cow. And you'd look at, as a nation... Is that, is that just let, let me ask you this question. Is that pasture-raised chickens or the over-fattened, like, store-bought chickens that actually can't walk because they are their breasts are so big and they've been raised in confinement feeding operations? I think I forget how I did how I did that math. I think I I took the average size of of a chicken regardless of of raising claims. Because I would say that an actual free range pastured chicken, it's got to be over a hundred because those things are scrawny. <laughs> you know, like that, well, like they can barely feed a fa- <laughs> you know like my family. It depends. Well, and again, you know how much there might be a lot more packed into that smaller frame in terms of what you're getting out of it from a nutrition's perspective. But in any case. Let's just take that aside and say, if from a, from a, sorry, it's just the number is so staggering. From a welfare yeah. or from a moral and ethics perspective, I think as a nation we process nine billion with a B nine billion chickens per year compared to thirty-two million beef cattle. So those are big numbers, but one is significantly greater than the other when you look at sentience, um, and so. Anyway, I'm ready to keep going, and I want you to finish your question, but you just talked about how much more chicken it takes. Well, yeah, a lot more, right? So that's one issue. And, uh, you know, then another issue, I think the people are still, unfortunately, under the delusion that chicken is healthier uh, than than red meat because, you know, perhaps lower cholesterol, lower saturated fat, um, you know, we don't need to spend too much time on this because I have a decade of resources for folks, including a free ebook on red meat. But, you know, maybe we can just briefly address, like, from a nutritional perspective, the, that myth that, like, if you're, if you're optimizing for health and the only meat that, and you only want to eat meat, like one type of meat, chicken should probably be on the bottom of that list. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> 
Man, we did a whole podcast on the truth about chicken as well. <laughs> I love it. The truth about chicken. It is. It's it's so disappointing. I mean, I think for the reasons that you noted that people have this perception that they've been led to. Let's just say that chicken took to this industrialization far more effectively than beef cattle did so that, it, that they can basically be mechanized and they're predictable and they have short lives and they're smaller. And so we can mistreat them and abuse them more easily and get away with it. And maybe it's like, you noted, they have beaks, not lips. So we justify those injustices more, more easily. Um, they can eat, you know, we've con their, their life cycle is so short. We can selectively breed them and optimize them for certain outcomes, like being sedentary and um, growing obese so quickly on super cheap corn or grain or whatever feed you're feeding them you know, that they become in, unable, as you noted, to walk to feed and water. And in fact, we can breed biology out of them such that they can't produce, reproduce. And further, they don't even evade predation. Another chicken comes up and starts pecking at its butt and it just sits there and keeps gorging itself because that's all it's programmed to do. I mean, they are, they are, they are barely even representatives of a true, yeah, true biological being. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's sad. I don't mean to disparage the birds, but it's, but it's horrible. And I think this this promotion of chicken to to support a system again grain production cheap food making money rinse and repeat it's 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 all part of the same broader outcomes and I think I think women have been particularly manipulated here you know you see a lot more women that say those things that you that you noted oh I don't eat beef I only eat chicken they're trying I mean they're they're coming from a good place they're being taken advantage of and I think that's one of the things that most upsets me with so many of these realities. And injustices and 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 our our food production system is where people's good intentions are being taken advantage of, and so that goes from just being frustrating to being, uh, you know, something that I want to fight back against. Is when you take the the good intention, goodwill um, of individuals and 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 use it against them to their detriment, to the detriment of those very things that they care about. I I take I take great uh, <laughs> concern and exception to that. Um, there's so much. Um, that is challenging about chicken. What I always say to consumers is it, it is definitely not healthier. Um, and you've probably covered that backwards and forwards, left and right. <laughs> it is absolutely not more sustainable. In fact, to, to the contrary, at Force of Nature, we've taken a position where um, we won't label chicken or any monogastric or poultry item um, as regenerative, unless it is coming off of uh, the, the land it's directly on as regenerative and the feed supply that it's being provided is also regenerative, which to my knowledge is basically non-existent or very, very, very few people are actually working on that. And feed is one of the biggest impact elements of pork and poultry, something like, you know, more acreage is impacted by feed production than, than where and how those animals are raised. So you can't just simply cast it aside and decide that not to consider it into your calculus of regenerative, whether it's having a net positive impact or a net negative impact because it's inconvenient. We were, for us, it has to be considered. And ultimately where we're at is there, it's not to say there's not good actors out there. It's not to say you should give up on it entirely, but you know, when it, when it comes to poultry, you should be paying a lot more for it. You should be eating a lot less of it. We currently eat, just so that we're clear too on the health, if you want to deduce, we currently eat about 82% of the beef we did a generation ago, and we eat about 350% of the chicken we did a generation ago. And those chickens tend to be four times larger yeah. than they were a generation ago. And, 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 and often they're battered and fried. So um, it's pretty sad.
Yeah, there's that too. That's the major source of chicken intake is like things like chicken nuggets and fried chicken. Somewhat separate but related problem, of course. I want to just um, go back a little bit to what you said about women because I think it, it um, bears highlighting here. I had um, Ty Beal. I've had, I had him on my podcast recently. I've had him on my podcast a couple times. He's a uh, phenomenal researcher. He's um, on the uh, research advisor on the knowledge leadership team at Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition. And his, his work is focused around how do we address malnutrition globally. And one of the biggest myths that he dispels is the idea that malnutrition is something that only affects third world, you know, developing countries. And in fact, there's tons of malnutrition happening right here in the U.S. and other industrialized countries. And, if, and, and you mentioned women. Well, women of childbearing age are the, the group that suffer from the greatest prevalence of nutrient deficiencies. And, if, and it's, it's with very serious effects, you know, a decline, decline in fertility rate, you know, nutrient deficiencies that uh, can be essentially passed on to the baby. It's a critical time of life, critical for the survival of our species critical for the health and quality of life of these women. And he and uh, his co-worker Flaminia Ortenzi published a study in Frontiers of Nutrition in 2022. And their, their goal was to uh, identify the foods that are highest in the nutrients that th women of childbearing age are most likely to be deficient in. So the, this was iron, zinc, folate, vitamin A, calcium, and B12. And Unlike other previous research on this topic, they actually considered the role of bioavailability, which is absolutely critical. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, if you look at spinach on paper, it looks like a great source of iron, but spinach also has oxalic acid, which binds to iron and prevents its absorption. So, you know, even if you're looking at the food label of spinach and it looks, oh, awesome, I'm going to get all this iron, you don't actually absorb it. And so it's not really useful uh, information. So their study was the first that I'm aware of that actually considered bioavailability. And they looked at a whole bunch of foods. And of course, this won't surprise you, Robbie. And I've talked about this study before on the show, so it probably won't surprise a lot of listeners. But four of the top seven foods were beef organs. So there was liver, spleen, kidney, and heart uh, were up there. And then there was small dried fish, and uh, bivalves like oysters, so shellfish, and dark leafy green vegetables, and, and crustaceans. And then you had goat and beef, um, which were right up there in the top 10 as well. So, uh, the, you know, muscle meats from those animals, to clarify, rather than organs. And the scoring system they used was such that they were, they were looking at the amount of calories of a given food you would have to eat to meet the one third of the RDA for, for that, for each of these particular nutrients. So a lower score would be better. So liver had the, the lowest slash best score of 11. You only need to eat 11 calories of liver to, to get the one third of the RDA for these essential nutrients. And let me tell you where chicken is on this list. So you don't, chicken was 1,103. So you had to eat uh, 1,103 calories of chicken to get the same nutrition that you get from eating 11 <laughs> calories of liver. So we're talking about a hundredfold difference. 
Critical nutrition. Critical nutrition that many women are, are, and men for that matter, but particularly women we're talking about here that are suffering from deficiency of. And then if you look at like lamb and mutton, goat, beef, and eggs, they're like 200, you know, 250. So that's still like a four, five-fold, um, over five-fold difference in the level of nutrition from beef, muscle, meat, and uh, chicken. So this is just one way of looking at it, but it's a really important way. And especially cause I, you know, I spent 15 years treating women uh, in this age group and I can honestly count on one hand, the number of women who are not suffering from some nutrient deficiency, even women who are on a pretty healthy diet and very often, uh, not always, but very often those were women who were affected by this messaging of like, red meat is bad for you. You know, you should eat chicken, maybe some fish, and that's that's your healthy diet template. And they were nutrient deficient. They were suffering from problems like infertility or so-called, you know, I'm doing air quotes here because they weren't really infertile. <laughs> they were just undernourished. And as soon as we corrected that malnutrition, they were able to conceive and get pregnant. So it's a huge problem. That's remarkable. Uh, I'm glad that you you elaborated on that. I, I, we could, <laughs> yeah, we could go down that rabbit hole for, this for, is such a rabbit hole time. and it's an important one, but yeah, yeah. again, I think, you know, chicken into the true cost of food thing too. You know, you walk into, uh, you know, certain, certain large grocery uh, chains and you can find a ro fully rotisserie cooked chicken. Um, you know, it's like a walking by a Cinnabon, you walk by this bay of three cooked chickens <laughs> and they're like four ninety nine for a whole bird. It's hot. You can take it home to yeah. your family. I mean, God, talk about appealing to our primal senses. It's, it's, it's easy. It smells good. I mean, all the things, but it is, it is, it is not what it sees. It is, it is a wolf no. in sheep's clothing. And, and even historically, I mean, you know this, and I've mentioned this before, but historically chicken was like the special dinner, like Sunday dinner, because it was like a rare thing. It was, you know, it was expensive and time <laughs> and time consuming and not much yield uh, or return on an investment. And so it was a rare thing where and, and red meat was really the staple in the diet. The, the whole the whole chicken in every pot, you know, was was a slogan that came back from centuries ago. And that was a sign of abundance and a sign Wealth of a, abundance, a healthy fun right. a functioning society. We celebrate Thanksgiving and, and historically Christmas with turkeys, you know, and all of these things that are easily lost and forgotten in our modern society. Again, we've, we've, we've removed values from our food and replaced it with cheapness. Yeah. All right. So we've had our chicken tangent, um, which is, I think it is a very useful one. And, you know, you touch briefly on pork that it, it, as, as a, another monogastric and, and a more difficult meat to raise sustainably in our current ecosystem. And I, I know I've talked to a few different regenerative farmers on this podcast uh, who even started out trying to raise pork and then switched over to beef because of the challenges in doing it in a truly regenerative way. Do you want to talk just briefly about that before we move on? Yeah, and I want to be careful too, because I don't want to come across as attacking pork and poultry producers. I mean, these are these are good people trying to do good things. And there's there are opportunities to improve those systems and there is a role for those systems. I always think about an ecological or an, an ecosystem based uh, view on things and, 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 and pigs and animals that perform the behaviors that pigs form exist in natural ecosystems as do birds. Yeah. But from a historical perspective, I'm not aware of any, any, any pig or any bird that uh, entire populations of humans 
revolved and evolved uh, migrating alongside with pursuing for food and nutrition. You know, we, 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 we chased herds of bison on this continent for um, hundreds or, or sorry, I should say thousands uh, of years as a, as a staple that our, our, our livelihoods revolved around. That isn't the case for pork. That isn't the case for, for, for poultry. Um, and we shouldn't be eating them. You know, we eat more poultry in this country now than, than we eat beef. You know, like that, that is an imbalance from a historical, from an evolutionary perspective as, as well. Um, but I do think, you know, so the inverse of that is, I think there is a role for pork and a role for poultry, much like there's a, a role for, for ruminants. Ruminants should be keystone to our diet, just like they are keystone to ecosystems, but in healthy multi-function, uh, multi-species regenerative operations, you also often see all three of those animals or two of those animals uh, in, in harmony. And again, each performing the key ecosystem services that they're designed to perform in healthy ecosystems. Um, but from a scale perspective, you know, the volume of meat that we should be producing and relying on and consuming should be significantly greater and weighted towards ruminants. And ruminants, again, are the multi-chambered stomach, beef, bison, these animals that can take grass and phytochemicals um, and protein and, 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 and make those into a bioavailable form, as you noted, um, for our consumption when we couldn't do that on our own. Monogastrics, you know, have a single chambered stomach like us. Um, they're more omnivores. Um, and again, they play key roles. Those roles should be celebrated, but we can't turn them into something that they're not. And they are not the staple of our diet. They are not the staple of any ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Force of Nature because I love what you guys are doing. I've always been a huge fan and uh, love to hear how you are bridging these gaps that we've talked about to create regenerative supply chains with, I know, a, uh, you know, the, the Shangri-La here is just a supply chain that customers understand with transparency and they can just trust. Like, if they go to the market, they walk in there and they see a force of nature product, they know that they are getting the real deal when it comes to state-of-the-art regenerative practices, supporting a holistic systems that include ranchers and, and producers and consumers, you know, supporting local ecosystems and communities, like all of the things that are important about the regenerative model. So how have you approached this in, in setting up force of nature? You know, I think, I think what we've tried to do is, again, create awareness. And, and, and I think another form, another term for awareness is transparency, you know, and that's, that's something that hasn't uh, typically been a pillar of the, the meat industry. But it has been um, a key and fundamental tenant of the food revolution that's been going on for a few decades in terms of, you know, pulling the curtains back on what what went into such processed food, and then, okay, wait a minute, we've we've lost we've lost our our our, our bearing here. Let's reinstill some value, and hey, here's a here's a you know, a set of claims or a set of um, attributes that we know consumers are looking for. So we're going to market that. And that, that that's kind of how this, we call it the center food, uh, center store food revolution is brands coming forward, you know, standing for, for movements and passion projects, sustain, whether it's sustainability or health or social issues, and, you know, starting to market more than just this is cheap and convenient. Um, you know, this is, there is something more important here. There is something that you care about beyond just those things. And that's not to say that it being 
cost effective um, and it being, you know, usable for you aren't important. They are, but, you know, I know that there are other things consumers care about. I think that's permeated into, you've seen it in dairy, we've seen it in, in um, yogurt, we've seen it in eggs. We just haven't seen that in, in meat. And so I think, you know, we, we are trying to help champion that and be a part of the elevation of awareness and, and, and importance of those, those factors in, in our, you know, the commodity sector that is meat. I think some of the ways we do that, again, and create awareness or through content, we, we aspire to tell stories and reach consumers and mobilize and engage them by reaching them with the messages um, that they already care about. You know, I don't, I think if, if my job was to say, hey, I have to go teach people what regenerative is and get them to care about it, it would be a really difficult um, endeavor and maybe impossible. It's really difficult to, to change people's behavior. Um, or to make them care about something because you care about them. But I'm, I think I'm very lucky because I don't have to do that. What I, all I have to do is go to consumers and say, hey, amongst all of those things that you value and already care about, what you think that you are purchasing to deliver on those is not what it seems. And the, the true manifestation of what you are already looking for and desire is available to you in the form of these regenerative products. That's it, you know? So I think it's just helping to make consumers understand that they're not wrong for wanting food that's healthy and that doesn't poison them and that the people who are producing that food aren't, you know, committing suicide or unable to sustain their way of life and their sense of worth and purpose. And um, the land that is, you know, offering us that bounty isn't being completely destroyed you know, I don't, I don't think that those are unrealistic desires for consumers to have. And I think if you only look to natural or you only look to organic or you only look to the prettiest label and you just simply believe what the marketing is telling you, then um, you may be paying a premium for something that significantly falls short of your expectations. And so, and I, 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 like I said, I don't want consumers to be taken very advantage of. I take issue with that. And so I, I want them to understand that, you know, this is what you're acting. This is what you're getting. This is what uh, other options you have. And if, you know, whatever values it is that you have, you should pursue that. You don't have to buy my products if you don't believe that what I'm saying is relevant to you or it's not important to you. Buy whatever you want, but you should at least have truth and, and access to that information and an understanding of that system that you're incumbent in when you support it. Yeah, I think that's... Or you're, in, you're, you're, you're complicit in, excuse me. Yeah, and that's what's been missing. And we started with that in the beginning, like just what is it? that uh, people really don't have a clear understanding th through no fault of their own. It's just like you said, intentional deception in many cases and mis mis you know, uh, misleading consumers so that they um, are not informed because that works to the advantage of the larger, you know, big food companies that are not following best practices. When we're not thinking critically and we're not standing up for ourselves and we're being you know, we have blinders on and we're just doing what's convenient. We are, we are every bit the cogs in their machine that are predictable and necessary to keep that mechanism going as those chickens we just talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they want us dumb, uninformed and following instructions. Eat cheaper chicken. Don't question it. You know, Boneless, skinless, preferably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> We're never good. <laughs> Ch chicken liver is good for, you know, good source of folate. Anyhow, uh, what are you working on right now? Like, um, any particular new, uh, products or combinations 
I love so many of the force of nature blends and so much of what you're doing. I'm just curious what, what irons you have in the fire. Yeah, the, the blends you're talking about for the folks that don't know, we have a line of products that we coined the term ancestral blend. You know, that, that, that came out of, as you well know, and when they started producing reports that said our, our, our um, life expectancy was going down now for children born. Um, and we know our health span has been going down already. We came up with the ancestral blend because it was sort of this like frustrated response to us being the least healthy we've been in generations at the time that we've most distanced ourselves from the diet that we would have had historically, which would have selected for those organs. And so we, we, we put um, hearts and, and livers and some organs back into those ground meat blends. We did it in ratios that were closer, you know, closer to ratios that you would see on a carcass and, and certainly with, with sensitivity to the modern palate. So how do we convince people to eat organs without offending them so they can get all those benefits that you talked about. So those are wild, wildly popular items. I think we'd like to see more ancestral blends across some of our other product lines, our sausages and stuff um, as, as examples, maybe hamburgers, who knows. Uh, we, launch, we, we launch a lot of proteins. Again, for us, it's about how do we make this, how do we address that access? So more forms, more platforms, more meal occasions. We've launched breakfast items and we just launched hot dogs, Chris. You know, we wanna make, wanna make sure that we can feed kids the product we're proud of. We, um, do those caseless, meaning there's no synthetic or pork casing on the outside of our sausages or our hot dogs. We couldn't find a supply of natural casings that would meet our standards because they would have come from very com commodity conventional animals. And mm -hmm. I don't really want to put synthetic food in our products. Yeah. All, all the way down to the seasoning and spice blends that we use. They're not irradiated. They don't have pesticides in them. Can't believe I have to say that. I didn't know that was a thing that in order to prevent biology from occurring in these dried products that, you know, go into so much of our foods, they are irradiated or they are filled with pesticides. Now there's a level at which you can do that. You don't have to put it on the label. And so that's what commonly is done. And so, you know, I'm excited to be able to launch food that I can feed my daughter without um, grimacing. Yeah. Amazing. We're looking at some other more convenient platforms and stuff too. The the more prepared foods um, that you that you find in the in the freezer, so it's it can be all the things that we're talking about, and maybe a little quicker to prepare and, and a little easier for folks. So, handful of things like that. Exciting. And as are the the hot dogs, are those the the regenerative bison? Regenerative beef and and regenerative bison. Bison yeah. and beef combined. Yeah. No. 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 We have a we have a beef hot dog and separately we have a bison. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. That's so cool. All right, Robbie, it's been a pleasure to chat with you again. Um, such a huge fan of Force of Nature and what you guys are doing. I, I uh, these products are a regular part of our rotation. I love that when I go into grocery stores, I'm seeing them more and more now in the freezer case. And I always smile when I see someone reach in there and grab something. I'm like, aha, smart person. <laughs> you know what they're doing. You know, you guys are making an impact and I can see it's exciting to see how that's unfolding and starting to reach more people. So tell people where they can learn more about your products and order them online if they're not available locally. And, and then what, what stores uh, you guys are in. I think you have a find a store button on your website too, to help people out with that. Yeah, we're uh, website is forceofnature.com you know instagram is at force of nature meets Our podcast is where hope grows i think we're available in a variety of restaurants like 
Hop Dottie and True Food Kitchen is pre, got a pretty wide footprint, both of those. Um, we just rolled out nationally in, in, in Whole Foods and Sprouts and um, natural grocers, many other, you know, regional grocery chains carry us. And like you mentioned, you can, you can order our full selection of products, you know, direct delivered to your door if you go to our, our website. And so, you know, I hope folks come and visit us. We'd love, we'd love for you to support us and, and, and buy our products, but, but come, go, go visit our, our social pages, come to our webpage and don't buy something too. That's fine. Learn, educate yourself. <laughs> And go buy something um, from somebody in your community, a, lo a local producer that's following these practices and is having a hard time and needs your support, or or somebody else that you that you know and believe in and have a relationship with. And, yeah. you know, do what is do what's right for you, but but do it uh, knowing what you're what you're a part of. Yeah, there's so many great options now. They're like in, in various places. Like we recently moved to Bend, Oregon, and when I go to the farmers market, there's not just one booth or stall with you know uh, pasture raised regenerative meat there's four and including one that has ostrich and and elk and venison and you know some of the game meat which i know you you know i want to uh, at least mention that you guys also you don't just sell beef and bison you also have uh, venison and elk and actual pasture raised chicken <laughs> uh, uh, and lots of other options there and I think, you know, for folks who are listening to this, like, you know, the farmer's market and just like poking around and checking out what's available locally is great. There, there's so many more people, fortunately, who are starting to do this and, and do it in a good way. So I uh, appreciate you mentioning that, Robbie. And Yeah, I uh, I still go to the farmer's market and, 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 and support a couple of local farmers to buy some meat. And when I when you said you were moving to Bend, First thing I did was say, "Hey, there's a great, there's a great rancher up there. Let me introduce you to, you know." So I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke when I say support, yeah, support your community. Yeah. And we did connect with her, so yeah, that's it's, uh, it's exciting time for to be, you know, interested in all this stuff. Because if you somehow got interested in this stuff 30 or 40 years ago, it, it was a lot harder to find people that were doing this kind of work. So we're all fortunate in that regard. And thank you, Robbie, for blazing a trail and making all this stuff available. So the, the website is forceofnature.com, everybody. And you can find a local store where you can order uh, directly. Um, I'll say I have a few personal favorites. Uh, one is the regenerative beef blend. And do you want to just briefly mention how you came came up with the ratio of organs to to beef there because I think it's cool and different than some of the other blends and much more palatable for a lot of people. Well, I, I touched on it uh, a, a second ago, just kind of the, the, the driving factors were honoring the animal, honoring our ancestral health and wisdom uh, and trying to be sensitive to the modern palate. You, you got to, without getting too complicated, you have to think every animal has a heart and, and has a liver. And so we have blends that don't uh, produce those you know, just a regular ground meat blend. And then we have the blends that we do. And so effectively we take our hearts and livers from, from all the animals um, in our supply chain. And we, and we, and we put those into the ancestral blend, which comes out to, you know, less than 10%. Um, but on a, you know, you got to think that's 1.6 ounces per one pound package. Right. So um, it's a really good ratio in terms of balancing all of those variables. And as you noted, uh, it takes a very small amount of those organs to do a whole lot of good. Yeah. Yeah, so I love that. 
I love um, the both of the wild boar products, so the ground wild boar and then the wild boar chorizo. Definite favorite for me. And um, I will say that my daughter, big fan of the hot dogs. I mean, she eats all of it. Like, she'll eat everything that I just mentioned happily. But, you know, kids love hot dogs. That's just the, <laughs> that's the reality. And adults actually love them, too. How old is she? She's almost 12 in a, in a, nice. in a, in a three days, actually. So lots of birthday talk around the house. Great. Well, thanks again, Robbie. Really appreciate it. Great to catch up with you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep sending your questions. ChrisCresser.com slash podcast question. And we'll talk to you next time. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscresser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.